Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Our Heavenly Father, we come before your presence to study your Word together. And as we do, we give you thanks for the teaching ministry of the Holy Ghost, believing that He will teach us and He will lead us and be our guide into all truth and all things that pertain to life and godliness. Our hearts are receptive, our ears are attentive, our minds are open, and we will receive, dear Father God, from your holy word today. Our hearts will be touched, our lives will be changed, and will not be the same. I thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost to proclaim with boldness and accuracy the knowledge of the truth that will make us free. And for all that's achieved and accomplished among us, we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 27 of Matthew 20 says, And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Last Wednesday evening I had started to talk about becoming a servant of the Most High God and developing the mindset of a servant. Jesus, if you read through these particular scriptures you'll discover that Jesus himself said of himself, I did not come to be ministered to or to have others serve me. I came to be the minister and I came to serve others. Isn't that true? And if you want to be chief among those in the kingdom of God, Jesus said, then you must become a servant. To become a servant, one must develop the mindset of a servant. Isn't that true? If we don't view ourselves as being servants and ministers, then we're not going to live the life of a servant or of a minister. We've got to identify with the fact that we are here to minister to other people. Just as Jesus came to minister to others, even so we are here to lay down our lives to minister to others. Here in these particular passages of Scripture, if you read right on from verses 20 right on through 28, you'll find out that the mother of James and John was concerned about her children's future well-being and wanted them to sit one on one side of Jesus and one on the other side of Jesus in the eternal kingdom. And Jesus said, it's not for me to determine that. It's up to the Father. But still, he said, if you want to be chief or have a place of honor among those that are there, become a servant. And live the lifestyle of a servant. Every single one of us, as I said, should develop that kind of a mindset and recognize the need for us to become servant-minded. And then learn how to effectively minister to the needs of other people. Now, I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And for those who may not be aware of it, every single one of us has a ministry before God. We are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, every single one of us. Not just those that stand behind pulpits throughout our land. Every individual who is a child of God is a minister and has a ministry. You know, and in some cases people don't recognize that. And if you don't understand that, then you're not going to live the lifestyle of a servant or of a minister. You are a minister of God and so am I. I may stand in the official office of a pastor teacher, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm any different than you are when it comes to 
this ministry that God has established for every single one of us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 17, it says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Well, are you in Christ? Then you're a new creature. All things are passed away, and all things are new, and all things are of God. Now look at, Who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad? But don't stop there. And has given unto us, what? The ministry of reconciliation. You have a ministry, and I have a ministry, whether or not we stand behind pulpits. We have the ministry of reconciliation, and we are ministers of the New Testament. To wit, or to make it known that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. You put all that together and you find out that, that God made Jesus to be sin for us so that we could be righteous before him, and then we can become ministers of the New Testament and tell other people that they too can be reconciled to Jesus Christ. And that God has already blotted out their sins through Jesus Christ. We're supposed to let people know the good news and tell them about what God has done for them through Jesus. Amen? Amen. But you see, once again, beloved, unless we develop this kind of a mindset and recognize that we are authorized ministers of the gospel, then we'll just go about our daily life thinking that, you know, we're not really that important when it comes to telling all these other people about Jesus. That's the job of the minister who stands behind the pulpit and nothing could be further from the truth. Now, before you get out there and start saying, well, I don't know about, you know, myself. I don't know that I'm capable. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians in chapter 3. And look at verse 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. In other words, any potential that I have, any ability that I have, any sufficiency that I have is not born of myself. My sufficiency comes from God. Now look at the next verse. Who, hath, who also hath made us able or qualified ministers. Say this with me. I am an able and qualified an authorized minister of the New Testament. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit gives life. You know, God can take you and God can use you just by your sharing your testimony with somebody else about the grace of God that saved your soul. But He doesn't want it to stop there. You know, we all have a testimony, and we thank God for that. But you're going to meet all kinds of people out there in the world coming from all kinds of different backgrounds. Isn't that true? And therefore, we've got to be equipped so that we can tell them the hope that is in us and share with them the right answers to the questions that they might have when we start telling them about Jesus. But before we get into that, once again, I want to remind us that we're all able ministers of the New Testament. Not of the letter, but of the spirit of it all. Because the letter kills, 
but the Spirit gives life. In other words, we're not out here in this world alone. God's Spirit is hovering over us and overing the lives of those people out there in the world for the purpose of bringing them to Christ. He needs our help. Before we go any further, I want you to see another verse in 1 Corinthians in chapter 3. You are positioned in the earth strategically by God for the purpose of being able to reach other people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must become servant-minded. We must become minister-minded and recognize that it's our duty and responsibility to share what we know about the gospel of Jesus Christ to other people. We are here to touch them and reach them by any means available to us. In 1 Corinthians in chapter 3, in verse 6, a key verse when it comes to telling other people about Jesus Christ is found right here. I have planted, Paul said, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. But God gave the increase. Notice this threefold operation of God. Number one, He uses some individual's Just to drop a seed. You know, sometimes we fail to recognize this and we offend people by trying to choke them with the Word of God. God doesn't want us to do that. All we have to do is recognize that seed sowing is a vital and important part to getting people saved. If all you ever do is just tell someone, I just thank God that I've been born again and I'm washed in the blood of Jesus Christ And I know that when I die, heaven is my home. And walk away from it. You know, you've dropped a seed in in that person's heart and mind that the Spirit of God is going to use. And then later on down the road somewhere, God's going to send somebody to water that seed. I remember the first time I ever heard about being born again. I was about 18 years old, maybe a little bit younger, 17, 18 years old, working in a a factory somewhere making uh, aluminum doors. And, and putting myself through school. And while I was doing that, someone walked over to me and said, you know, so-and-so, some girl who worked on the other side, said that, you know, she's born again. What do you think about you've got to be born again? And I, I just stood there. I never heard the expression ever before in my life. And my response was like Nicodemus. Nicodemus. I says, how in, a per- how in the world can a person go back into his mother's womb and be reborn? That was my logic at that point. And I just dropped the whole thing and walked away from it. And to be frank about it, I didn't remember it for a long time after. But someone gave those words to me and those words served as seeds in my heart and in my mind. And sometimes we don't recognize that. But you know what? I thank God for that person. I thank God for that person who back then saw himself or herself as a servant and a minister of the Most High God Committed to telling other people about the truth from God's holy word. A seed was sown that later on would be watered in my life. It took a while. But I just thank God that someone else was also dedicated. See, we don't have to badger somebody with it. We don't have to beat them over the head with it. All we've got to do is drop seeds. Just sow seeds. That's all. Just sow seeds. Just like the farmer. Just throw them out there. Just toss them out. Sow the seed. God loves you. Jesus cares about you. You must be born again to make heaven your home. And you'll strike people's thinking just by doing that. You may not see immediate results, but remember, God will send somebody to water that seed and ultimately He will give the increase. Amen? 
And so we're not here alone. We're not here by ourselves. The Spirit of God is out there. And we must be ministers of the Spirit of the Word, not of the letter. Okay? Now, I want you to turn with me to the book of Genesis, if you would, please, in chapter 1. Because I want you to see how the Spirit of God moves upon the hearts and minds of people in order to bring them to Christ. We must familiarize ourselves with the tools we have to work with. And when it comes to being servants of God, we must be sensitive to the ministry of the Holy Ghost who is there to help us better minister the life of God's Word to other people. How many of you want a chief place or a place of honor in the kingdom of God? Or are you just satisfied with just barely getting in? You've heard that song sung, if you get to heaven before I do, just bore a hole and pull me through. Did you ever hear that one sung? Well, we used to sing that when I first got saved. If you get to heaven before I do, just bore a hole and pull me through. My friend, it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't happen that way. You can't get it to work that way. You can't go in on your parents, you know, coattail or anything like that. You've got to make a decision for yourself. Amen. Amen. We've got to let people know that they've got to make a decision for themselves. There are no free rides to heaven. Amen. Amen. Okay, now listen. In verse 1, Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Thank God for that. Verse 2. And the earth was without form. Boy, it seems like a, a problem right there. Did he make it that way? Well, the answer is no. It was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Now notice, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The word moved here suggests a bird sitting on a nest of eggs to warm them into life. Like a bird just sitting on a nest of eggs to warm them into life. Now this, of course, moving of the Spirit of God is in relation to the earth being form and uh, without form rather and void. In other words, it's empty and confused. And it seems like it's under a state of judgment by God because God didn't make it that way. Write down this verse in Isaiah 45, 18. It says that the earth was not made without form and void. When God made the earth, it was not the way it appears in Genesis 1, 2. You can see that in Isaiah 45, 18. And then, if you look up Isaiah 34, 11, you'll find two words there. One word, confusion, and one word, emptiness. And those two words that are used, confusion and emptiness, are the same two words used right here in Genesis 1, 2, and translated without form and void. Form and void. So, in other words, in the beginning, God did not make the earth confused and empty. It became confused and empty and in a state of chaos as the result of Lucifer's fall and those that inhabited the earth before Adam and their rebellion, along with Lucifer. And as a result of that first fall, we see the earth then under judgment and without form and void in a state of emptiness and confusion in a chaotic state. We know this as the chaotic period. Well... The Spirit of God is now brooding over the waters just like the bird over its nest of eggs, warming those eggs into life or to vivify or to bring life into those eggs. Although God didn't make it that way, that's the way it was. 
But we see here that the Spirit of God is also active in the recreation of the earth and the replenishing of the earth as He moves upon the waters. Well, when Adam fell, beloved, and this is after all this, after the recreation of everything, when Adam fell, man also was left in a chaotic state, wasn't he? He was empty. He was confused. We could say that inwardly, man was without form and void. He wasn't in the state, the original state that God made him. His life had many voids. His life was full of emptiness. His life was full of confusion. Well, here we see the Spirit of God hovering to bring life to where there was confusion and chaos, to bring order out of chaos. Well, likewise, God's Spirit has been unleashed in the earth today. I want to show that to you in, in John's Gospel. If you turn there with me, with me, please, John 16. God's Spirit has been unleashed and released in the earth today. He is manifesting Himself in the earth today, and there is a reason for His manifestation. In John's Gospel, chapter 16, Jesus declared it. We'll begin reading at verse 7. John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will, number one, reprove the world of sin... And that word reprove means convince or convict. And of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. But I want you to see this. Jesus said it's, it's expedient or profitable for you that I go away. Because if I go and when I go, I will in turn send the ministry of the Holy Ghost. And when Jesus returned to glory, we know the Holy Ghost was sent. And when the Holy Ghost came, He began to manifest Himself in the earth. Now listen carefully. It says right here that He will come and reprove the world. The Holy Ghost is right now moving upon the troubled waters of human life, just like He was in the very beginning, moving upon the chaotic waters of life that were upon the earth. He is moving upon the hearts and the minds of people in this generation and throughout every generation. Ever since His dispensation, since His outpouring on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost is here right now hovering over people's lives just as He was in the beginning. Why? He wants to bring order out of chaos. He wants to fill every void. He wants to dismiss and remove all confusion that sets in pe on people's minds. He wants people to be drawn to Jesus Christ. Instead of death... Spiritual death and its destruction in people's lives, he wants to vivify or to bring vitality or life to human beings. See, beloved, we're not alone. People out there right now are being convinced and convicted by the Spirit of God. I remember in those days when I was convinced by the Spirit of God, I had no idea about any idea whatsoever about what it meant to be born again. Even though I was reared up in church, and even though I had a very religious background, I still did not have the truth that makes me free. And you know what, beloved? Sometimes I wonder, what is worse? Which is worse? To live in some remote part of the world, 
in an uncivilized state and know nothing about God or to live in the midst of all kinds of religious tradition and to know about God but not know the proper truth. Because you know, beloved, people are deceived into thinking they have something that they don't have. And that's worse than being somewhere and knowing nothing. But that's the state I was in. But I want you to listen carefully. In that state, God hovered over my life by His Spirit, just as a bird brooding over her eggs to warm them into life. God's Spirit is moving upon people in the world today, Christians and non-Christians alike. Some Christians who are, let's say, not walking right with God, God's Spirit is right there hovering over them, wooing them back into the fold. Their own lives, their own spirits are convicting them. They know what is right. They know what is wrong. That's the work of the Holy Ghost. That's the work of the Spirit of God in the earth today. But once again, He still needs us. He can't do it by Himself. We have got to speak on His behalf. And we have got to share the Word of God with people so that He has that Word to work with to touch people's lives in that powerful way. I want you to look, if you would please, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. And I want you once again to remember, you are a servant of the Most High God. You are a minister of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Ghost is upon you, and the Holy Ghost is upon those that are out there in the world today. He is out there endeavoring to reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. To convince them of the fact that they are sinners and are in need of a Savior. You're not the only one trying to tell that to other people. So don't forget that. Of righteousness to let them know that provision has been made for their sin and that Jesus Christ is and has been made sin for them so they could become the righteousness of God in Christ. And of judgment that the devil and his bunch have already been judged as far as God is concerned and their, their end is not bright. Their future is not bright at all. And you see, the Spirit of God will let people know this inwardly. He will touch them and their conscience and they will know that these things are true. And as we share the Word with these people, they'll be touched by the Word as the Spirit of God makes it alive to them. Now, the first time they may reject it, but it doesn't matter because you've left them with something and you've left the Holy Ghost with something. He now has something more tangible to work with in their lives. You've told them they must be born again. And if that's all you've told them, you've told them enough for the Holy Ghost to continue His working in their lives in a powerful way to reach them for Jesus and to draw them. In Luke 4 and 14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. We are ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. We too must go forth in the power of the Spirit. As Jesus did in the Galilee, and there went out a fame of Him throughout all the region round about. He told His very own disciples, don't go until you be endued with power from on high. In other words, the Holy Ghost is out there touching them, ministering to those people, hovering over them to warm them in the life. But beloved, the Holy Ghost is anointing us and equipping us so that we can go forth and tell people, not in our own strength, not of our own sufficiency, but endued with the power of the Holy Ghost 
to pierce their hearts and minds with the Word of God and also to minister to the needs of others that are out there in the world today. You know, you can touch a heart that is broken. You know, you can touch a body that needs healed by the power of God just through the laying on of your hands or through your prayer of faith. I've talked with people on the phone when they called in desperation and all I would begin to do is share the Word of God with them and then pray with them. And a calm and a peace would come over them like they hadn't experienced for a long time. What was that? It wasn't me. It was the Holy Ghost manifesting Himself in me and through my life and also hovering over that person to bring them out of their confusion and bring peace back into their hearts and minds. I've talked with individuals that wanted to kill themselves and take their lives and commit suicide and shared with them from the Word of God. And the Word of God, by the power of God, by the Holy Ghost coming upon them, touched them in a positive and in a powerful way. And they changed their mind and made the right choice and decision. You know, I wish, would to God we can reach everybody that's out there. That doesn't always happen. But we can't stop doing what God wants us to do, beloved, because there will be those that will be reached. And sometimes I believe that we get to a place of frustration because we don't see greater results. But, you know, that's just a tool of the enemy right there. We've got to continue on no matter what we see because we know it's the right way. Amen. Amen. And so Jesus went in the power of the Spirit. He began to teach in the synagogues. Look at verse 18. And he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Would you say that with me this morning? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me now, making me an able minister of the New Testament. He is upon you right now. If you're Spirit-filled, the Spirit of God is also upon you right now. And He is qualifying you, authorizing you, and equipping you, and doing you with power from on high to make you that able minister of the New Testament. To minister life to people. To serve people in this capacity. We've got to recognize that you have a tremendous amount of potential on the inside of you. You can tell somebody the truth, and that truth will make them free. You can minister the Spirit of God to people also. Just through your prayer life. Well, Jesus went on to say that He's upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. I want you to see that it requires someone on this earth to communicate truth to people so that the Holy Ghost can fully carry out the Father's plan in their lives. And that's what Jesus was anointed to do. To preach the gospel or the good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty the bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Those are different platforms that Jesus fulfilled in His ministry, under His ministry. And beloved, every single one of us is equipped to do the same thing because He said, the works that I do shall you do also, and greater than these shall you do because I'm going to my Father. Did He not? You see, beloved, when we get our minds set on the right thing, knowing that we are servants of the Most High God, it'll, I believe, encourage us and motivate us to get things right in our own lives. You know why? Because God wants to use us to touch others. And so can you see then that if He wants to do that, then He also wants to touch us so that we can also have a productive life ourselves and be a shining light unto others so that we can touch them with the life of God that we've been touched with? Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And as they see that happening in my life, then through my life, their life can be touched also. 
Now, I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter, if you would, please. In chapter 3, you and I are servants of the Most High God. We are here to serve other people. We're here to tell them about Jesus, and we're also here to tell them about the problem solver. That if their lives are empty, full of chaos and, 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 and all kinds of confusion, that there is a solution to their problem. There is somebody available to help them recover themselves from that state. Beloved, if God can change what took place in the beginning, when the Spirit of God hovered upon the face of the earth, over all the deep waters of the earth in the darkness, how much more can He touch a human life and change it? If He can recreate a new world, how much more can He recreate a new life? And how much more can He change the world in which we live, that is, the world around us? Amen. He can bring us out of that state of chaos. He can bring order back into our lives. He can remove the confusion. He can remove the emptiness. I don't know about you, but God wants us full. He doesn't want us empty. He wants us filled with His love, filled with His Spirit, filled with His peace, filled with His joy. And see, if a person is empty on the inside, all those things are available to that person. Every human being alive on the face of planet earth today can experience the fullness of God. That ye be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen? We all can be filled with all the fullness of God. And God wants us full. God wants us filled. He wants us all that way. He wants others to be that way. But He needs us to communicate these truths to them. Their lives don't have to be in chaos. Their lives don't have to be empty. They don't have to be overcome by confusion. They can receive all the goodness of God in their lives and be free from all that. And the Spirit of God is out there right now endeavoring to do so. But He needs folks like you and me to get out there and tell them all about it. Amen? Amen. Now, I want you to see this verse because it's important to what we're saying. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and reverence or reverential fear. Do you know what that verse is telling us? With regard to the truths of the gospel, every single one of us should be taught of the Lord. We should be taught from the Word of God how to answer people that question us about the hope that we have on the inside of us. You know, we're living in an age when the darkness is becoming darker. That means that more people are becoming more confused about eternity and about God. There are all kinds of religions cropping up throughout the world today. You know that as well as I do. You know, look at every hand and you'll find all kinds of people rising up and believing all kinds of crazy things. And if we're not careful, beloved, we see the church being affected in a negative way by what's happening in the world today. A lot of things that are going on in the world today that challenges the belief that people have in Jesus Christ. And, you know, we don't want a weak faith in God. There's a big challenge that lies ahead of us, beloved. We've got to convince these people that Jesus is the only way to God. We've got to have the answers to the questions they hold in their hearts and minds. And to be frank about it, it'd be better off to go to some uncivilized land where they've never heard anything. And go there with the truth of the gospel because you can convince those people through God's mighty power and glory. But if you go somewhere where they've been taught all kinds of crazy things, all kinds of religious truths and ideas, it's more difficult to reach those people with the gospel. And I like to just take one question and help educate us so that we can 
you know, better assist the Holy Ghost in reaching hearts and touching lives. Because when it comes to ministering Jesus, you're going to run across all kinds of different beliefs that are out there in the world today. And you've got to have the right answers to the questions that they hold in their hearts and minds. What happens to the poor innocent native who's out there in the world today who has never heard of Jesus Christ? Or to those who live in an uncivilized land where they, you know, don't have a whole lot of understanding and no access to the things that we have in this world and in, in, in our nation? They've not been privileged enough to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. A person out there today, and you can see them all around you today, they'll ask you that question. If you believe that Jesus is the only way, if He is, then what happens to these innocent ones that are out there in these lands who have never heard of Jesus? How can you dare say that those innocent people will spend their eternity in damnation when they've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? If someone walked up to you and said that to you and asked you that question, how would you respond? I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 1, if you would, please. The Holy Ghost needs you to answer correctly. You know why? I believe this with all my heart. You may never know that the person you're telling that to might be the next evangelist to reach that uncivilized land. Do you know that? That's the truth. I mean, how do we know who's going to be the next president of the United States of America? Who's born, just born, let's say now, and years from now will become the next president. How do you know that? You don't know that. How do you know who will be the next Billy Graham? How do you know that? See, we don't. But we know somebody led Billy Graham to Jesus Christ. Isn't that true? And look what happened in his life. Look how many people he has reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at the many lives he has touched and hearts he has changed with the gospel of Jesus you might be talking to somebody that is under conviction. And they want an answer. What about these uncivilized people out there in remote places of the earth who have never heard of Jesus? How can you say they too have to be born again when they know nothing about being born again? First of all, I want you to look, if you would please, to the book of Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. The first thing we've got to correct in our minds, in the minds of other people, is the thought that anyone is innocent before God. Usually they'll say these innocent people out there in the world, assuming that someone is innocent. How can we go on the assumption that anyone is innocent before God? Is that a true statement? And if you know the Bible, you know it's an emphatic no. Everyone is guilty before God and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the one who has never heard of Jesus isn't necessarily guilty of rejecting, rejecting Jesus because he's never heard of Jesus. So how can he reject someone who he's never heard of? He's not guilty of that. But I want you to see something here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all innocent men. Does it say that? No. All ignorant men. No. It's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now notice carefully. Who hold the truth 
in on righteousness. And the word hold means suppress. Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That they, there are those that are out there in the world today who are under unrighteousness and ungodliness in the world and they have no idea that they're unrighteous before God. They're living in remote lands, they're in uncivilized lands and they have no idea that they are unrighteous before God. Read on. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. Hold on here for a moment. There are those that are living out there in foreign lands, in remote places, in uncivilized lands, who although they have never heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God the Father Himself has made known unto them certain things already. Read on. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without what? Without what? Without excuse. Now, maybe they haven't heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and so they can't believe on Him, and they can't reject Him, because they have never heard it. But God's wrath is revealed because many suppress the truth. His wrath is revealed not against the innocent or, the, or, or those that are ignorant, but against those that are ungodly and those that are wicked because they suppress the truth. The truth being the fact that God once did reveal Himself. And God continues to reveal Himself to them and has shown them Himself through the invisible things that were made in creation. And so God here Himself says that they are without excuse. The truth is being suppressed is revealed right here. If you'll go on and read with me. In the latter part of verse 20, it says, His eternal power and Godhead are revealed in the creation. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. You know what that is saying? It goes all the way back to the beginning when God always revealed Himself to man. God saw to it that in His acts of creation, and also that by His Spirit in the conscience, consciousness of man... He made Himself known, His eternal power, His glory, His Godhead. All this has been revealed to man inwardly. And also outwardly 
by His acts of creation. And when they knew Him as God, they glorified Him not as God. So the general revelation is this. God's power and deity have been revealed as well as His personal existence. And so the one who says, I couldn't know you, I'm an atheist, is without excuse before God. Why? Because God hath made Himself known. God has revealed Himself to that person's consciousness. Do you think rejecting God the Father is any less worthy of judgment than rejecting Jesus Christ? See, this person is rejecting God the Father. He is rejecting the knowledge of God that has been revealed. He is even not looking to his own conscience. Beloved, I remember in that state of conviction how I had a revelation on the inside of me that I was going to hell and that I was lost. Had nothing to do with my religion. Had everything to do with the Spirit's conviction upon my life. And I'd cry out. You've heard me say it on, on numerous occasions. I'd cry out and I'd say, I don't want to go to hell. I would wake up and say, why am I saying this? Why, what's going on inside me? I didn't know. God is revealing Himself. Can you see that? God moves upon the hearts and minds of people by His Spirit to make Himself known. He reveals Himself to everyone. It doesn't matter where you're living. It doesn't matter how remote your uncivilized land is. God has revealed Himself to all men. I want you to see this. It says here that they once knew God, but refused to acknowledge Him. Look at verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Now, let me ask you this question. If when you knew God, you turned your back on God, doesn't it stand to reason that you probably won't teach your children about God? And then your children won't know a whole lot about God. And then their children won't know a whole lot about God. Isn't all this true? And doesn't it continue on and on? But isn't it true that God revealed Himself to them first? And therefore, God is innocent because God made Himself known, but they turned their back on God and now their children don't know God and their children's children don't know God. But you know what? I believe that God still comes to reveal Himself to their children and to their children's children. I shared with you this testimony about the fella who living in this remote land one day, let God get a hold of his conscience. And what he did was said that, here's my father who is a priest in their religion. He's making out of wood the very idols or the very gods that all the people in our village worship. And he walked away from all that. Now remember this. You're talking about walking away from your family religion. And he said... Who makes my father's hands? That's a pretty good question, isn't it? See, we want to think that everybody, you know, is not going to hear from God or have a conscience before God just because they live in some remote, uncivilized land. That's not true. That fellow said, who makes my father's hand? You know, everyone who would stop and think who would want to know God would ask the same question. 
I'm worshiping this little piece of wood that my father put together. But who made my father's hands? He went up on a mountain and said, there is a God. I want to know you. Who made my father's hands? He did this day after day until an angel from above came on that mountaintop and told him. He, he never saw a white man before. A white man's going to be coming. He's going to be riding in on, on an elephant. He's going to have a black book in his hand and he is going to tell you about the living God. And one day he saw that happen. There was the missionary. You see, why do we have to tell the people of the world? There was a missionary who was in a nearby village and he was sent there by God to preach Jesus to these people. And he asked the leaders there, are there any others around us that have never heard the gospel? And they said, there is a remote place that no one travels to because you can't get there. You can't get there by any means other than an elephant. And he said, pack them up and let's get going because we've got to get out there. God told me to go out there and tell these people about Jesus. Now, here's a remote, uncivilized land, people that are still guilty before God. Not guilty of rejecting Jesus, but guilty of not letting their conscience and nature tell them about the living God that they once knew about. And he goes into the village on this elephant with a Bible in his hands and the fellow looks up and he sees this man that the angel said would be coming, a white man on, a, on an elephant with a black book. And he ran over to him and said, tell me, tell me what's in that book. And the fellow got down and through an interpreter preached to him the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that man and his whole village got saved because of one child's search for the real God. God is just. God is righteous. And if a man really wants to know, he will know. And we have to answer people like this and let them know. But you want to see it here. We have once again some of the reasons, some of the answers to the questions. Those people are not innocent. They are still guilty. If they were innocent, let them alone. No one can plead ignorance before God because God has clearly revealed himself to everyone, to all men. Maybe they haven't heard of Christ, beloved, but they can't plead ignorance with respect to the Father. Will you say, what happened then? Well, let's read on. Their foolish heart in the latter part of verse 21 was darkened. That's what happened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of an un the uncorruptible God into the Im image made like the corruptible man. Now, let's stop right there. There'll be those that'll tell you, but people in this land, they worship the cow. People in this land, they worship the sun. People in that land, they worship the moon. And over here, these folks, they worship the stars. They're all worshiping, so let them alone. It's okay. There's a universal God. They're all praying to the same God. They go through the moon, to the sun, to the stars, to the birds, to the bees, and to the sea, the waters, and the, and the frogs, and all these gods. Let them alone. That's exactly what the devil wants us to do, is let them alone. And let them die in their sin. I want you to see something here. Read the verse. Verse 23, they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into the image made like to corruptible man, to birds, four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. To change the truth of God into a lie. Underline that verse. They changed 
the truth of God into a lie. What an exchange took place. They began worshiping idols and the creation rather than the creator. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. Who is blessed forever. Amen. Beloved, isn't that what's going on in all these other lands? Isn't that true? Are we supposed to let them go and let them worship their, their creatures rather than the Creator? No. We can't let them alone. Because see, no one's innocent before God. Even in our own land, where we have all these people coming in with their, their idols and their gods, we still have to reach out and tell them they're believing a lie. And not the truth. Because no one is innocent before God. And so it says here, for this cause, God gave them up to vile affection. See, they were given up. They were turned over to a reprobate mind. Because they began to worship the creature rather than the creator. But the truth is, they did have the knowledge of God at one time. Beloved, we have got to tell them. We've got to let them know. We've got to serve. We've got to be ministers. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust toward one another. There are those that say homosexuality and lesbianism is not wrong today. They're believing the lie. And they're given over to a reprobate mind. Their mind is void of the judgment of God. And beloved, I'll tell you right now, they're empty inside. They're confused and they're in a chaotic state. Can you see that? Like the beginning, when the earth was without form and void, empty, confused and chaotic. Human beings today are empty, confused and chaotic in their mind and their thinking. Why? Because somewhere along the line, someone in their family got away from God. We've got to bring them back into God. We've got to tell them their way of life is not right before God. That which is unseemly in receiving in themselves the recompense of their heir which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Look at verse 28. God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Before that happens, we've got to reach Him to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, uh, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, convenient break, covenant breakers, rather, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Beloved, the world is in a terrible state today. We understand that. But we have the solution and we have the answers. God wants us to rise up to a place of understanding, to become servants and ministers of the Most High God and be fully equipped to give an answer for the hope that is on the inside of us when people ask us why we believe what we believe. We can't rest in religious tradition any longer. And we can't just ignore the fact that many are dying every single day in their sin. We have got to be committed and responsible to God to cooperate with the Holy Ghost 
and let people know that even these people in uncivilized lands still need to know the truth. How much more is it our responsibility and duty to reach those that are in a civilized land who are still deceived and believe a lie? There was a time in my life, beloved, when I thought everything was okay because of my religious beliefs. And it's a frightening thought for me right now to stand before you and recognize that I was wrong. I thank God I didn't die then. I thank God that somebody cared enough about me to pray. And somebody was committed to God enough to say, Lord, use me to tell people. And I thank God that I wasn't all that hard-headed when someone finally reached me and said, if you want to make heaven your home, you better make Jesus your Savior. And no matter what anybody else says or try to convince you, otherwise, He's the only way, truth, and life. You are a qualified minister, and we're going to teach along these lines and help equip you to better answer the questions that people have out there. And then that way, brother and sister, you can reach them with the truth, and they'll be set free. Can you say amen? amen? Let's all stand before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.